0: Today on Bold Steps Weekend with Mark Job, we're learning that in order to grow spiritually, God often helps us by shaking us out of our comfortable routine.
1: Just because things change on the outside does not mean that change will last unless there's internal change.
0: Welcome to Bold Steps Weekend with Mark Job, President of Moody Bible Institute and Senior Pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago. Mark, you're talking today about change, real spiritual change, and how to make preparations for moving into a new season for what God may be calling us to do.
1: You know, Wayne, most of us resist change. I heard of that 100-year-old guy that said, hey, life is must change a lot. He said, yeah, and I've been against every single change. <laughs> And some of us are like that. You know, I've heard that the only one that likes change is a baby with a dirty diaper. And I've <laughs> had a right. couple babies and they don't <laughs> like it as well. But change is inevitable. Mm-hmm. And uh, this passage is going to tell us how to prepare for change. Some of you are at the front end of a season of change. You know it. You see it coming. And um, you can either have a crisis during change or or you can step into change and really let God use you. So hopefully this message will prepare you for that.
0: Yeah, I know this is going to help. So I invite you to join us now in Nehemiah chapter 9. We're continuing our series with part one of how to prepare for a season of change. Remember, if you can't stay with us till the end, you can still hear the complete message at BoldStepsWeekend.org. Now, here's Pastor Mark with Bold Steps Weekend.
1: In fact, most of us are creatures of routine and habit. A lot of you, when you walk in this place, you sit in the same place that you sat last week. In fact, you walk in and you look for your place, and if someone's sitting there, you kind of like, "Hey, they're in my place. Hey, there's no name. okay, all right. I guess I'll find another seat." Because we're we're just creatures of habit. We just kind of know that uh, we, we we just kind of uh, uh, know that this is where we're gonna sit. This is kind of our our, our spot. But here's what I want you to understand. That if you're going to grow, God oftentimes will take us out of our routine and he'll stir us up and change us in order for us to grow. In fact, it was uh, Isaac Newton, uh, the famous uh, inventor and physicist, that first wrote down what he called the first law of motion. The first law of motion states this, everything continues in a state of rest unless it is compelled to change by forces impressed upon it. Let me read that again. Isaac Newton said, everything continues in a state of rest. In other words, everything typically continues the same. Unless it is compelled to change by a force that's impressed upon it that normally will stay the same unless there's a compelling force causing us to change. In our spiritual lives, we typically stay the same unless there's a compelling force. It's called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit begins to compel us to change. He begins to press us to change, Uh, get us out of our comfort zone, uh, because there is no growth without change. And so therefore, as we think about a new season that God is taking us into, I want you to think about change, because it'll require change to to go to a new season. My prayer is that we all change for the good, that there's transformation in our lives. So Nehemiah chapter 9 I'm going to begin reading in verses 1 through 3. By the way, someone else said that oftentimes we're like a snail on the back of a turtle. So many times we're so excited about the little progress that we're making, we're like the snail that's going, wee-ee, on the back of a turtle. You know, we really think we're going somewhere, but in reality we're moving very, very slow. And I think the Spirit of God wants to turn up the heat and cause us to grow and change at a more rapid pace. Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads. Now, those of you that have not been following our Nehemiah series, let me just remind you, give you a synopsis. Nehemiah was living his life pretty well, had a posh job. God interrupted his life with a vision about change, so he relocated 800 miles from from Susa to the town of Jerusalem, from the capital cosmopolitan city to the ghetto of Jerusalem, torn down walls, uh, disenfranchised people, broken down structure with the vision of rebuilding that city. His first task was to rebuild a wall. The wall was a mile and a half long, 15 feet high, 3 feet wide. In 52 days after mobilizing the people and encouraging every family member and tribe to adopt the section of the wall, in 52 days, by the power of God, they were able to rebuild a wall that they had not been able to rebuild in 141 years. Miraculous. Now the wall is done, the gates are hung, and the people are breathing a sigh of relief. But in reality, the real change is just starting. Oh, I wish you could hear me this morning because this is huge. Just because things change on the outside does not mean that change will last unless there's internal change. You see, so many times we delude ourselves into thinking That we can change by changing something on the outside. Uh, During the dead of winter, some of you have had the idea of moving to another state. And some people say, I want change. It's always funny that everybody who wants change always wants change in a warmer state. Someone says, I want a change of scenario, a change of life, a change of direction. So someone says, I'm moving to Texas. I I just hear that the weather's 85 degrees. They don't have to deal with snow. And I want change in my life. I want a new place, a new house, a new boyfriend. I want a new job. I want new weather. I want a new scenario. I want a new neighborhood. I want change. And so you pick up and you move to Texas thinking that if you move to Texas, everything's going to change. Here's the thing. It's a matter of weeks before you will begin to repeat the same behavior cycles that you had in Chicago because a change of environment does not mean lasting change unless there's change inside. You see, lasting change does not occur without external change. Lasting change happens when our heart and spirit are touched enough to change, and that gives permanence to our change. Some of you say, I want to change. So you get up and you decide to get a haircut and dye your hair. And you had a bad attitude before you got a haircut and dyed your hair. And guess what? Now you're a person with a bad attitude and a new haircut and a new color. (laughs) But you still have a bad attitude. Some of you had bitterness in your heart and you say, you know what, guess what, I'm going to go on a diet. I'm going to really change my life around. So before you were a bitter, overweight woman, now you're a bitter, slender woman, but you're still bitter just because the outside has changed. It doesn't mean the inside has changed. Uh, you had a negative outlook on life and you decide, you know, I'm going to dress up, put makeup on, I'm going to clean up, I'm going to put a nice dress on, buy myself some new shoes. Before you were a ragtag person with a bad, uh, a, a negative attitude. Now you're a dressed up person with a negative attitude because the external does not change our environment and our destiny. Change that remains and lasts, only remains and lasts when there's internal change. So the wall had been built, the gates had been hung, but the most important change had not happened yet, and that was change in their heart, change in their spirit. So the Bible says that the people of Israel gathered together, and it says that they gathered together with fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads. So they gathered together to fast and pray. Uh, Oftentimes when you want God to do something in your life, you will fast and you will pray and you will seek the face of God. And in those days, uh, it was a cultural practice that when they fasted and prayed, they would put on the equivalent of burlap, kind of like a burlap sack. And then they would put dirt on their foreheads and then they would abstain from eating. That was a sign of grieving. That means they were sad. It's almost like as if you decided to fast, you say, Let me look for my worst clothes, the ones that are ripped in the knee, and and the ones that have paint stains on it. I'm gonna wear that, I'm gonna dishevel my hair. You know, I do that easily. It's disheveled right now. (laughs) And and I'm gonna put a little dirt on my head, and, and I'm just gonna go out because I'm really sad. And and that's what they did in those days. They would do that kind of it was a sign of mourning. Uh the equivalent tradition has has kept alive basically through Ash Wednesday. Some of you come out of a tradition where on Ash Wednesday, you put ash on your head, and it's a sign of mourning. It's a sign of sadness that that you put. However, in the New Testament, by the way, this is sort of an abandoned practice. In the New Testament, Jesus said, when you fast, don't do that. Uh, When you fast, don't show up and, and look all sick and ragged and disheveled, and people say, what's going on? Oh, nothing. Are you sick? No. It's more spiritual than that. Well, what's wrong? How come you're not eating?
0: Okay, I'm fasting.
1: The Bible says, hey, don't do that, because when you're fasting... It should be between you and God. God knows you're fasting. You don't have to proclaim it to everybody else. Everybody else doesn't have to see that you're fasting. When you're fasting, you're fasting so that God will notice and so that God will answer your prayer. And so these people began to fast and pray. And it says in verse 2, those of the Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and they confessed their sins and their wickedness of their fathers They stood where they were, and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day, and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. The the key word that I want to give you is cleansing, cleansing. As you're preparing yourself for a season of change, uh, the first thing that comes to your mind is you need to deal with your present and your past through cleansing, You cannot go into a new season, a good new season that God has for you, carrying the baggage of the old.
0: There are so many practical takeaways from the book of Nehemiah that we can apply to our lives. You're listening to Bold Steps Weekend featuring the Bible teaching of Mark Job. Today's message, how to prepare for a season of change. If you happen to miss a program in this series, you can always listen online at your convenience. Just go to BoldStepsWeekend.org. All of our past programs are available anytime, anywhere, on demand. That's BoldStepsWeekend.org. Plus, we'd love to have you join us as a bold partner if you're a regular listener. These are people who choose to give on a monthly basis to keep Bold Steps coming your way. I'll have more on that at the end of the teaching, and we hope it's something you'll prayerfully consider. All right, now let's get back into part two of our message from Pastor Mark Job. We're picking up with the story of Nehemiah and the three cleansing actions that we need in order to enter a new season.
1: If you're going to go into a new season the way God wants you, you have to be willing to let, get rid of those things that God doesn't want in the new season. It requires cleansing. And basically, these people did three things in order to be cleansed. It tells us that they uh, confessed. They stood in their places and confessed the sins and the wickedness of their fathers. They confessed, they read the word, and they worshipped. And many people are going into a new season. I'm praying for that, believing for that, sense in my spirit that God is leading us there. Then it requires that we take an inventory of our lives. And then we say, God, I want cleansing. Now let me just... Explain what confession is and what confession is not. Confession, the word, and worship. They all go hand in hand, and that's what they said the people of Israel did during this time. They began to confess their sins. Now, confession is different than admitting sin. How many of you know there's a difference between admitting and confessing? Let me explain the difference. Confession means to agree with God about the nature and consequences of our sin, to agree with God about our sin. To admit means that I admit I did it. But admitting I did it does not imply any grieving of my heart or any desire to turn away from it. Confession means I admit it, I take responsibility for it, and I want to turn away from it. That's confession. The little five-year-old boy that's told not to get into the cookie jar, and his mother walks downstairs and catches him with his hand in the cookie jar, she says, Tommy, were you getting a cookie? Yes. He admitted it, but he didn't necessarily confess it. You see, sometimes we'll admit we sinned because we're caught. A- and oftentimes people are caught in their sin and they say, Yeah, I did it. And I'm sorry. And, and and here's the thing if you're caught, the question is always, are you sorry because you're caught and there's consequences, or are you sorry because it grieves the heart of God and you're win- willing to turn away with it? When you say, I got caught, I'm sorry. Would you do it again if you could get away with it? You see, some people are sorry because of the consequences. I got caught. Sorry. Oh, I know it hurts you. I know it's a bad thing. If I, I, next time, I'll do it better so you don't catch me. <laughs> you see, that's not confession. Confession implies repentance. By the way, what are we confessing? Sin, right? And what is Sin. Well, I think it, it demands a, a, a description or an explanation. The word sin, in our English language, the etymology of the word sin is derived from the word to miss the target. It brings to mind the image of an archer shooting towards a target with a bow pulled back, shooting an arrow to try to hit the middle of a target. If you miss the target... Uh, it's the equivalent of saying I sin. To sin in the spiritual realm means that you're not in the center of where God wants you to be. You've missed the target of how God wants you to live and how God wants you to act. Now let me tell you this. You may miss it by an inch or you may miss it by 30 feet. It doesn't matter. If you miss it, you've missed it. Uh, Some people say, well, there's little sins, big sins, medium sins, there's there's really dark sins, and, and, and so my sin is little. Listen, if you've missed the target, it's sin, period. Now, there are sins that have greater consequences in our life than others, but sin is sin, period. And so, we come before God, confession means... That you look at your life, you evaluate your life, and you realize that there's areas that you've missed the mark with God, the areas where you're not living according to the will of God, areas where you specifically disobeyed God, gone contrary to God, and how do we know if we've hit the mark or not hit the mark? Well, we know it by the Word. You see, a lot of us don't know that we're not hitting on target because we don't know the Word. If you don't know the Word, you don't know the target. I run into guys sometimes and say, How are you doing spiritually? Oh good, good. Now now I know he's uh, lying, cheating on his taxes, sleeping with another woman besides his wife, and snorting cocaine on the weekends. And when I say how are you doing, he's like, Good, good. Yeah, me and the guy upstairs, eh, we gotta be going. Well, listen, no, you're not doing good. You're blindsided and you think you're doing good because you're comparing yourselves to others around you. But listen, you don't know the word. The word tells you what the target is. And if you knew the word, you would know how bad you're doing. And so if you're going to cleanse your life, you need to be willing to examine your life and ask yourself, not how am I doing compared to the people around me, But how am I doing compared to the standard that God has set for me? And how will I know the standard unless I know the Word? So I begin to study the Word and read the Word and understand the Word. And once I begin to confess and understand the Word, the natural response is that I will worship God. You know why you worship God? After you've confessed and understood the word, they were fasting and praying, reading the word, and worshiping God. You begin to worship God because you begin to realize how deep and powerful the grace of God is that he would forgive you. You see, I run into people sometimes that they think if you've been saved for a while, that that you're done sinning. I I remember a a 19-year-old guy come up to me one time, and he said, he was a new believer, and he said to me, Pastor, I have a question for you. I said, sure. I said, it's kind of personal, though. I said, Go ahead. I'm not going to promise I'll answer, but yeah, ask me. He said, do you ever sin? I don't want to laugh. I wanted to say, do I ever sin? Just ask my wife. So you can list them in alphabetical order, categorize them into categories. Of course I sin. And here's the thing. The closer you walk with God, the closer you get to the light of God. I don't care how long you've been a believer. The closer you walk with God, the more you will realize how much you sin and how much you need the grace of God to forgive you. In fact, it, now, I may not sin like that new believer was thinking sinning. Like, I, I don't go out on the weekends and snort a line of cocaine, and I'm not sleeping around with another woman, and, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not lying and cheating my income tax, and, you know, I, I don't have a problem with trying to get drunk on the weekends. That, you know, those are some of the big sort of obvious, oh, yeah, we saw that kind of sin. But listen, you know, there, there's sins of the heart, Sins of the mind, sins of the attitude, that the closer you walk with God, you look at the life of Paul, and the closer he walked with God, the more aware he was of the little sins in his life, which are not little because it means missing the mark, and they're just as grievous as any other kind of sin. The closer you walk with God, the more you'll realize how much you sin. None of you are going to get to a point in life that you say, you know what? You know, I used to sin. Well, let's see, last month, I can't can't remember any sins. You show me a person like that, I'll show you a proud, unrepentant, blind, self-righteous individual because those that walk close to God understand the sinfulness of their heart. The Apostle Paul, after walking with God for like 20 years, said, I am I am one of the worst of sinners. Wait a second. This is Paul. Paul. You're the Apostle Paul. I mean, you wrote a bunch of the books of the Bible. You had an encounter with Jesus. I mean, you saw him face to face. You healed people. Your hanky healed people. And you were bit by a serpent and healed. I mean, you, you were like this mega saint. How could you call yourself the worst of sinners? Because the closer Paul God, to the light of God, the more he realized that there's a lot in his life that needs to be changed until the day you die and, and to the day you come before Jesus Christ, there will be always issues in your life that God is going to deal with, always.
0: This is Bold Steps Weekend, our Bible teacher, Mark Job. Our topic today how to prepare for a season of real spiritual change. We'll continue with part two of this edifying lesson when we return next weekend. Now, if you missed any part of today's message, or if you'd like to hear it again, head over to BoldStepsWeekend.org. Just look for the series titled, Rebuild Your Life, Your City, Your World. Again, the website is BoldStepsWeekend.org. Are you tired of worrying about what tomorrow may bring? Have you been trying your best to control your life story, only to be hit time and time again with unexpected changes and stressful plot twists? Well, this month's Bold Action Gift is a resource that will help you learn to let go and let God take the lead. Going along with today's theme of preparing for change, it's a book by Nancy and Robert Walkamuth titled, You Can Trust God to Write Your Story, Embracing the Mysteries of Providence. We'll be happy to send you a copy of this resource when you give a gift of any amount online at BoldStepsWeekend.org. You can also give that gift by calling 866-535-5580. And if you'd rather send your donation and request for the book by mail, be sure to address your envelope to Bold Steps Weekend, 820 North LaSalle Boulevard, Chicago, Illinois 60610. Once again, that's 820 North LaSalle Boulevard, Chicago, Illinois, 60610. And let me remind you once again of the opportunity to become a bold partner. Just go to our website, boldstepsweekend.org and look for Become a Bold Partner and become a monthly supporter of this ministry. Well, that's all the time we have today. So glad to have you with us. I'm Wayne Shepherd. On behalf of the entire Bold Steps Weekend team, we hope you have a great weekend. We'll see you next time when Mark continues his message from Nehemiah titled, How to Prepare for a Season of Change. It's coming up next time here on Bold Steps Weekend. Bold Steps Weekend is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.